0: Take real estate as a shot, or as a fully stocked cooler? This is the 5 O'Clock Somewhere Real Estate Investor Podcast. We're bringing common sense back to real estate investment, so crack open your beverage of choice, sit back and relax, and allow us to learn you a thing or two. Here are your hosts, Brett Bernard, Glenn Green, Matt Wheeler, and Jeff McNett.
1: Welcome to It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere Real Estate Podcast with the Stamps Real Estate Company. We're the investment division, Brett Bernard, Glenn Green, Jeff McNett, and Wheeler, as That's we call me. it. That's Matt me. Wheeler. That's and, me. And uh, I know it's, what is it, 10 here, but it's 5 o'clock somewhere. So hopefully right. if it's 5 where you are, you're having a beer or drinking a glass of wine or even scotch on the rocks, Jeff and I's favorite cocktail.
2: Uh, Richard, I think it's 5 o'clock in the UK now. He's a seven wanker. Hours. He doesn't know. It no, no, it's 7 uh, It's 4
3: o'clock.
2: 4 o'clock? It's 10
3: o'clock in
1: the morning here. So it's what time there?
3: 4
1: o'clock. It's wanker time.
2: 4 it's o'clock is, uh, is <laughs> close enough to 5, okay? It's
1: wanker time.
2: <laughs> that's, that's called Resident Happy wanker.
1: Hour. I'm going to say wanker so many times you're going to have to edit half this out, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Richard's from the UK, so. He we, just turned we, it, the whole thing off. <laughs> <laughs> So in studio with us is our broker, John Stamps, which is the, uh, the patriarch of the Stamps Real Estate Company. And we hooked up with John. Well, Glenn started out with John back in 2014. 10 right? years ago. 10 yep. years ago. And then when we decided we we're going to go out and open up a new brokerage, we got with John and worked out a deal that worked for both sides. And John didn't have an investment division. So Glenn and I took on the role of building that and bringing on other two members of our four-man team
3: john welcome thank you so yeah, thanks for having me here so, yeah thanks for that introduction and i'm glad y'all are with me i can't tell you how much yeah so, we well, we're enjo- to- i'm enjoying it yeah i'm in- i'm not
1: enjoying the drive to collierville <laughs> no that's so, all. As, as, as soon as you get your wiring <laughs> we're set gonna cut there. that down a little bit <laughs>
3: exactly
4: because i leave east memphis and i go to collierville it's 30 minutes each way it's over 30 for me as well yep and jeff well you're oakland aren't you yeah, about an hour. Yeah.
1: But so anyway, John and uh, and us got together. We we talked for months. Well, actually, we've been talking about this for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we finally had some situation that we needed to, to make a change. And we pulled the trigger, met with John, and I think put a very successful plan together that's working for us, working for you. Yep. yep. And John's in Collierville. How long have you been in the real estate business?
3: Ah, geez. I got in 1995. So what, 28 years? 28 years.
1: Yeah. So Stamps has two divisions. It has a a residential side where primarily you're all doing owner-occupant, and then Glenn and I have kind of taken on the investment side where we're dealing with investors and rental properties, multifamily, commercial, stuff like that. But I wanted to bring you on today because we haven't introduced you to anybody, and yep. I wanted people to know that we do have a full <laughs> owner-occupant <laughs> side uh, version of the Stamps Real full, Estate uh, full, uh, service.
3: Yep. full
2: service. Uh, yeah, full service company. So absolutely. And, and you're a third generation Collier building? That fourth. More than actually, that fourth.
3: yeah, fourth. Yeah. Fourth. Wow. Yeah. Fourth
2: generation. Yeah. Uh,
1: you're also an alderman or a councilman. Yes. Or is that what do they call it there?
3: Alderman. alderman. Yeah. Alderman. Same. Yeah. Same difference. Yeah. I, I've City done Council that job. Alderman.
1: I've done that job, and it's a crappy job. <laughs> I don't. I care anybody says, I will never do it again. Uh, small town politics uh, is just a mess. That's why he didn't
4: give up his day job. Yeah. Don't, definitely don't well, give up your day job.
3: Well, I've followed a little bit of my heritage, fourth generation. My grandfather was mayor in Cairo in the 1950s. Glenn, I don't know if we talked about that before. No, we haven't. So, so that's a little part of you know the legacy that I got involved in when I wanted to get into real estate. I wanted to have my feet on the ground, learn about the community, get very involved. And I didn't realize how involved I was going to get. And it kind of led to this position. You have good days and bad days. I've really enjoyed it. It can be a thankless job a lot of times. That's you a know, very so. thankless job. But being there and you're kind of a target, can't make everybody happy. That's the struggle of it. But you know what? I just make decisions based on what I think is good for the community.
2: Those are both strong characteristics of a real estate agent. Yes, sure. <laughs> it's <true. laughs> it always the agent's
3: fault. Yes, front line of defense. That's I don't know, I mean.
2: John, if I've ever told you this, but
1: uh, in 1995, I lived in Grand Ledge, Michigan, and my neighbor was pissed off about a sidewalk ordinance and decided he was running for city council and bet me a 12-pack of beer I wouldn't run either. And I did, I ran and ended up winning. And I had that job for three years and through some political shenanigans and some other tabloid crap that happened in the city, I ended up being the mayor of the city for another two years past that. And when I left office, I swore I'd never, I don't care how much money it paid, I would never be in politics again. Because it is, it's it's a thankless job. I think my problem was, is I was too direct. I didn't lie to people. I was pretty straightforward with stuff, and and there were people that loved that, and there were a lot of people that hated that. They wanted to hear what they wanted me to tell them what they wanted to hear instead of what was the truth. And I was young, I was naive, and had no clue how dirty that business can can really be.
2: You know, so, I came when I came into real estate, I didn't know nothing, and so I went to John and asked him if if he would carry my license, which he would. And so, to me, he's one of the most honest people I've ever met, especially in this business. This Agreed. business can be oh, wow. a little bit Thank you. Thank nasty. you, Glenn. That's it. Well, and let's
1: advice. face it. Most of the, I'm going to say this, and I might get in trouble for saying it, but let's face it. A lot of agents out there are lazy. They're not very honest with people. They just want to check at the end of the day and think what sets us apart and certainly sets John apart. And I don't know, Wheeler and Jeff, I'm still out on that. The jury's still out on that, one. but uh, what sets us apart is that we are pretty honest and direct with our clients. I mean, we will tell a client, "Absolutely, don't buy this house." We will be very direct with you. Our phones are always on. I get calls all the time on weekend. I got three calls on Saturday. And my wife got a little upset at me because we were trying to go out on the boat, but I was I had to work. I think there's a distinctive difference, and I think it comes down to one simple word, which is, what's my what's my favorite word? The one word. That if I ever did a seminar, I'd walk out, say it, drop my mic, and charge everybody
4: two grand. Oh, I don't remember. I work thinking. ethic. Yeah, that's, that's what it. I thought you were going for. Work ethic. It I was going to say that like it. three seconds ago. But yeah, you put me on the spot. You never paused long enough I could get it out.
1: All right. So, uh, so John, you've been 28 years?
2: Yeah, 28 years. Well, wow. I remember yep. when John started his brokerage, he did so at the in the Great Recession at the worst possible time, in my opinion. Yeah. When yeah. the market crashed, the real estate market just died. And I was like, you're starting a brokerage right now? And he said, yep, there's only one way to go, and that's up. <laughs> you know, I, I had a philosophy. I was managing
3: uh, a, a brokerage, Prudential, actually. I was managing that. And I had about 40, and then we got down to 30 agents. And it was my job to teach people to get out there and make a living. Nobody really wanted to do it. Everybody was discouraged, and it was really a hard time. It really was a hard time. And I was being more and more pressure on me to be in there to try to get people rolling. And I was just frustrated. So I went to the, the owner of the company. He was nice. He was my mentor at the time. And I just said, you know what? I'm, this is frustrating. And I, I'm going to take my own advice. What I'm trying to teach everybody, if I can't take my own advice, get out there and try to make this work. And if it doesn't work, then that's my answer right there. So I wanted to get back out on my own because and, and I, I liked that part of it, you know, the individual. I was with a lot in my tour of duty, as I call it. I was with a, a couple of companies Got the experience at Cryolike, Remax, Prudential. Great companies. Enjoyed it. But I liked that we could make decisions. Smaller company. We could be more flexible. Right. Um, not as much corporate. And uh, be able to serve our clients. I think that ties into your work ethic. You know, we have to sit down and make some decisions that are going to make it a win-win for everybody. Right. And that's what, uh, what I wanted to do. And that's turned out to where... I don't want to be the next cry like. I don't want to be those. I want to be, have a good, solid firm with people that have integrity like you guys and that's why I really appreciate that, you know, Glenn when you came on originally, I thought this man right here has got incredible integrity. And I told well,
1: that Well, he sat everybody. on the ethics board. I was on for, the ethics for, for what, 3 years. 3 years. So. Mm-hmm. And I was
2: the chairman for
1: a year. I learned everything I knew about ethics from Glenn. <laughs> so, which is pretty much I think why I'm I'm so to the book yeah I, like i know how to do it yeah. right way and yeah. i do it the right way every time and i don't have to worry yeah. about
3: it well and like what you were saying earlier when you said you know i'm very uh, direct but what it is is you tell the client what they need to know you're not going to get every deal and you need to say you know what and but people will respect that and they'll come back and that's what glenn that's what you had when you first started out you said here are the facts this is what i feel and i think i'll present it to you you make the decision And kind of go from there. And sometimes you end up talking people out of deals.
1: Well, or you have these agents that just want to, they want to appease everybody. Yeah. So they tell people what they think they want to hear. Right. We get a lot of referrals from investors who have properties here who have fired their previous agents or fired the last three agents because they got into deals that were just no good. And it's because instead of the agent being honest and just staying straight up, look, here 's your risk factors here 's the type of neighborhood here 's what you can probably expect, yeah, if you want to buy it, yeah that's fine, but I want to let you know what instead they go out and just say, "Oh no, this is the best thing you can ever do, yeah, buy this property it's going to work i 've got three investors just recently from that and where they got into a situation and the agent didn't do a, a proper CMA. They pulled data from all over the place and said, Oh, this is worth $200,000. We had to sell it. I had to get the guy out of it and we sold it for 130,000. He lost like 50 grand on that house Ooh. because the agent just wanted a paycheck. She just wanted to get paid and that's it. I think if you just do the work, have work ethic and move forward and be honest with your clients, the money follows. Yeah. Because I think Glenn and I are successful, very successful at this because So many people come to us because they've heard of us or they they know somebody that's dealt with us and they want to deal with somebody that's honest and has integrity and has their back.
3: Well, and, you know, also you've created a system and you've created a spreadsheet, a system. I was always impressed with that. I mean, you just laid it all out and you had the numbers and you said, this is the numbers and this is what it does and this is what you can be. And there's a range and all that kind of stuff. And it's really kind of like yes or no. You know, yep, that, that
1: system was all Glenn. I'm, <laughs> I'm the guy that goes out and sets the world on fire. Glenn's the guy that sits down and realizes good how we're going to pay for it. That's a good team.
2: That's a team <laughs> right there. He's good at that. Yeah. But a lot of times I say, you told him what? <laughs>
1: So, yeah, we've been in business together since, what, 07? 07, So, yeah, w- yeah we work well together and, because there are things that he does that I hate doing or I can't do or I'm not good at. And there are things that I'm good at that he hates doing and he's not good at. So we, we're we pretty good balance. which I think is why we've been successful. Oh, I was England so impressed
3: with you guys when I first met you and y'all were in the short sale remediation and all that kind of yeah. stuff. During, like you said, when the market went down and everybody was upside down in their house and how do you get them out? You guys helped a lot of people, and, and I watched how you worked and how you operated, and it was a great system. Nobody else out there was doing that. All right, I'm
1: going to put this out there. If you're in trouble at your home, do not call me to short sell your house, because I'm never doing that again. <laughs> it was a tough Holy business. Holy cow, that was a tough business. That was a tough business. We did. We helped a lot of people, but mm. and we built a good business out of it. That's how we met Bill Ivey. Yeah. That's eventually how we came around to, to meet you, and yeah. we met Chris at Tile Assurance. All yeah. this came from that experience, yeah. so it was a lot, of, a lot of positive things came out of it. Yeah i'd rather take bob and susie to find their dream home than to do another short sale you know how much i hate to do that so well anyway uh so john stay with us because what i want to do is i want to spend some time today talking about real estate investment acronyms there's a lot of them out there and i told jeff i hope i studied for this i I told jeff and wheeler to study up or we're going to play stump the chump so this podcast into a game show all all of a sudden (laughs) So, uh, here's one that I had never heard before, believe it or not. I thought I knew every investment acronym because a lot of our investors, some of them are smarter than us, but some of them, most of them think they're smarter than us. I always, what's my line, Wheeler? We're not experts. We actually know what we're talking about. that's exactly it. (laughs) So, this is one that I found, which I'd never heard of, predictive analytics. So, listen to the definition. You tell me what you think this is. Predictive analytics provides real estate investors with reliable outlook of future returns based on historical data that sounds like a duh acronym every time we deal with a property what are we doing we're looking at historical data so I don't understand why that's considered a, a real estate term because
2: it's rocket it been, science
1: that, to some of them that must have been written by an expert yeah he had to come up with this this hard fancy name so anyway what about NOI
4: Wheeler are you talking about the net operating yes. income <laughs> And what is net operating income? So what does net operating income mean? Well, according to my research (laughs) thanks for my esteemed colleague Jeff over there, it equals all revenue from the property minus the reasonable necessary operating expenses.
1: After taxes, fees, management. That was a short version. That was a short version. I I asked for the right version.
4: That was it. (laughs) That That was was it.
1: All right. So net operating income, cash on cash return. This is, this is unique. A lot of people don't really get this, but that's your ratio of NOI, but it's before taxes. Cash on cash, every investor uses the term cash on cash differently. But a cash on cash return is based on your cash flow, NOI, net cash flow, divided into your purchase price or investment amount, minus your management, minus your taxes, minus your insurance, but excludes your other taxes. So they consider taxes different because I guess that's a that's a different type of a tax break for an investor. So well, they don't include it, it in it, the cash it, on cash.
2: If you buy a house for fifty grand, put fifty into it, it's worth a hundred. Are you going to tell me that the cost basis is fifty thousand? No. Well cash on cash would would put the
1: the cost basis at a hundred thousand. Right. You bought it for 50 cash. You put 50 cash in it. So you're in it for 100 grand.
2: So you include the the rehab cost. Right. But you eliminate
1: the taxes. That's the difference. Now, a lot of investors don't do it that way. When they say cash on cash, they mean I spent 100 grand. I got this much back after my expenses. So my cash on cash is X. You know, and my cap rate is 7 or whatever.
2: This is more prevailing in the Japanese market. They do what's called a cost segregation and it's where a an accounting firm actually looks at the property itself and breaks it down between the actual material cost and like the replacement cost or the the value of the land. And they're allowed to depreciate the structure over 4 years. Right? See, so they that's kind of what insurance companies do, it's a direct reduction to their income. And of course, the Japanese pay a lot of income tax, they pay like 50%. Oh, really?
4: Yeah.
1: Well, for, you, for, the, for the new young investors out there listening, you're going to hear a lot of acronyms. If you've gone to a seminar, they probably sold you a thousand different acronyms to use and told you they were all extremely important and you must know them. And that's going to be your success. That's not your success because you know what NOI means is not going to make you a, a, a good investor or ROI or cap rate. You have to understand it. You have to you understand, have to understand it. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. you got to understand the base. And it's a simple process. All these acronyms come down to the same bottom question. How much money am i making roi return on investment so wheeler
4: yes (laughs) you want me to come on down to the prices right next question Next so explain to me uh, explain to me a cap rate well that's the net operating income divided by the cost of the property that you're buying damn look at the big brain on wheeler (laughs) i mean i do know this sometimes okay it's just not five o'clock here, it's 10 o'clock here. And, you know, cap
1: rate is the same as, same as ROI. <clears throat> it's the same number, right? It's just got a different name to it. Uh, we use ROI a lot because some of your big investors, you know, the big Wall Street type thinkers, they like to use the term cap rate. I guess it sounds more professional. I like ROI, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing. So let's do an example. So you got a house you pay $100,000 for, paid cash, mortgaged it, doesn't matter. That's still your investment amount, and it produces thousand dollars a month, which is twelve thousand dollars a year gross, which is your GOI, your gross operating income. From there, you're going to take your expenses, taxes, insurance, what percentage goes into a reserve account because that is still not part of your income because you're setting that aside for repairs, management cost, and then when you get all of that deducted. Your NOI, which is your net operating income, divide that into your hundred thousand. That tells you what your cap rate is or your ROI. So, for those of you who are struggling trying to understand this, it's simple. It's no different than anything else you do. You if pay you're for an something. accountant,
2: it's simple. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it, on, yeah, on a basic CPA. term, it is simple.
1: Uh, my income is twelve grand a year. I paid a hundred thousand for the property. I paid. This much in expenses, my net income's X. I divide it into 100 grand, and there's my cap rate, there's my ROI.
3: Can I make a comment about sure. something you said, which is important and so overlooked? I mean, I think this is one of the uh, main ingredients that people have to realize is that reserve. I've seen so many people get in the business, they're, they're, they're just starting out, they want to buy their first income property, they want to buy whatever. And they buy two or three four properties, and then they're just going along. They've got a cash flow of three or four hundred dollars a month, and they thought they're all excited, but they're not using that reserve. No, and it gets to the end somebody moves out, The AC units get stolen. This happens, the next thing you know, they trash the place because they're upset, whatever happens, and now they're left coming out of pocket with whatever cash,
1: yeah, or even having money set aside. Let's say you have a great tenant that. Takes good care of the property. You're still going to have to go in there and clean the unit, mm-hmm. sanitize the mm-hmm. unit. You're going to have to probably put some paint on the wall, yeah make a few minor repairs here and
4: there, replace carpet. Uh, so, like as that. part
1: of your expense, as part of your, your figuring Overhead. out your NOI and your cap rate, you should have a reserve amount out of that rent going into an
3: account every single month. What would you suggest the percentage be? What do you think is the average percentage?
1: I don't know, Glenn. I get that question a lot. Is 20 ish? I would say I would put 100% of my cash flow in my reserve account for 12 months Mm -hmm. then once you hit that good answer that couple of thousand dollars reserve Mm -hmm. sitting over there then start divvying up your cash flow if you want to take some income out of it That's how I would do it because you'll reach your reserve account minimum quicker. Just get it out of the way and Mm -hmm. then start using that cash flow for income. By then you're on your way to building, you know, getting your second or your third property. And your key here is to have a good on a house, probably a good reserve account of about $5,000. So you can handle most anything.
3: What's your thoughts on if somebody takes that cash flow? So you do build 12 months. But if you take that cash flow and put it back in, if you had to get a mortgage on it, To put it back in to try to pay that principal down as fast. We just talked
1: about this on a previous podcast. A lot of my investors do that, right? They're getting twelve hundred dollars a month. At the end of the day, they've got after their reserves and expenses, they got $300 in cash flow. They're paying that on the mortgage payment. They're adding that in. And so on a 20-year loan, they're going to pay it down in 12 years. Their hope is, is that they'll end up with 20 properties paid for in 20 years with a net asset value of you know $2, 3000000 million that now they've got an asset they can leverage to expand further or to 1031 or just cash out and retire. But yeah, I suggest that. I, I, I'm a believer that if you get into buying rental real estate, single family rentals, duplexes, fourplexes, and you're getting into it to quit your day job, you're going to fail miserably. (laughs) Get into it as a long-term investment strategy. No different than the stock market or a 401k. Get into it as a long-term investment strategy. And if you do that, you'll be very successful. If you get into it to buy five houses and quit your job, your wife's going to probably leave you. You're going to lose (laughs) your house and your car and everything else. So just don't do it. So that's my opinion. Those are the main acronyms that we deal with there's a few other ones that I saw. You know, we talked about ROI. Everybody knows it, FMB, LTV, fair market value, loan-to-value, all that good stuff. So, yeah, they use they use acronyms like GRI and GOI, which is the exact same thing. It's your gross rental income, period. And commercial, they use GOI. And investment real estate, single family, they use GRI. So, you know, that. I just want to kind of go through that because I get that question a lot. And a lot of these guys always ask me, well, how do you figure out, you know, your return on investment how should i do this how much should i put for reserve it's not complicated it's simple math i mean it's it's actual math you learn probably in third grade um but you have to account for reserves as an expense do not use that as part of your cash flow it's not going to help you if you spend it and then you got to come up with five grand at the end of the year let the tenant put your reserve account aside don't pull it out of your own pocket
4: any other questions about acronyms no i think you pretty much nailed it all right jeff (laughs) how about you (laughs)
3: <laughs> i'm good
4: i think we need
2: another mic we
1: do we do um i lost my train of thought thanks jeff that stunning rebuttal there <laughs> kind of threw me off off track
2: well something you said uh, i think it spurred a thought in me and that is if, if you're gonna buy real estate investments you have to understand that you are going to need a reserve yes these houses eventually they break Water heater goes out, refrigerator dies, roof leaks. These things happen. That's just the way it is. So if you buy a house and you have problems with it, it's not the end of the world. No. You just fix them.
1: Mm -hmm. And here's the reason why cash reserve accounts are so important. If you're collecting money from a tenant, and out of that money from a tenant – you're paying your mortgage, you're paying your taxes, and you're putting aside a reserve account. You're not pulling money out of your pocket every month. You're not putting more money into your investment. The tenant's doing that for you. That's why you have to manage your cash flow properly. Because if you don't do that, then you're going to be next year pulling money out of your own pocket. Now you're in this house at $105,000. Then next year, more. Now you're at 110. dollars By the time you get the loan paid off, you're in this house for $150,000 out of your own pocket. That is a horrible investment strategy. The goal here is to allow the people renting the property to pay your mortgage, pay your taxes, pay your insurance, pay your expenses, pay your reserve account. So that asset you're all in is still fixed and you let it grow and you get it paid off. And now you've got a good valued asset. Hopefully that makes sense to our listeners, but so many people, young guys, make the mistake of, like John said, living off the cash, going and buying beer with it, you know, a couple of months, and they'll go to the casino or go to Florida, and then something breaks, and now
3: they're going to the bank and borrowing money to fix it. So on that note, how do y'all handle, uh, if you got an investor, out-of-town investor, you got the properties here, somebody calls you and says, you know what, hot water heater, like Glenn, like what you said, hot water heater went out. Y'all handle that? Do you take care of it? Do
2: you have resources? What do you do to, to mitigate that? Well, property management would handle that. They've got their vendors that they would send out, but we also have our own vendors. And we're always willing to assist our property owners after the closing. We kind of hold their hand, especially in that first six months to a year. Mm-hmm. You get them past that, and then they're fine. you know. Uh,
1: we got, we, Yeah, we have investors that self-manage. I'm actually going to pick up keys for a duplex today. The tenant moved out. I'm going to take some pictures, send it to them. Put a key box on for him, and I'm going to line up Tom to come do the rent-ready turn. He's going to advertise. He'll pick a day next week on a Wednesday from noon to 2, and I'll go show up and let people show up and, and look at it. Then they'll call him in Germany, and they'll do a lease with him.
3: So that's an extra service that you yeah. have above, yeah. over and above? we so. only charge what? five hundred dollars an hour for that, that service yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh we, we can't charge down. nothing actually i will say this though we don't mm-hmm. really charge our investors for that it's something we do because listen these guys come back and buy five homes ten homes so yeah i don't care if i go spend an hour at a house helping out this investor who's out of town uh, i've gotten a couple of good ball of scotches out of it jack sent us that great omaha steak box yep. right so we do get we do get some benefits from it but we don't charge our clients for that
2: You get the benefit of our expertise for free when you buy, and then whenever you sell, then we'll make a commission. That's
4: right. Have y'all ever had a guy or an investor get a home warranty on a rental property? Yeah. Yeah. They do that. See, that's kind of like what I would think would make a lot more sense as far as like that whole reserve thing if you're just starting out if you were to get like um, it's not a bad idea but like not like a damn look at the i'm big not train trying to, on i'm not trying to name well this is because my experience i just bought a house last year and i had a my stove went out i have a double oven in the wall those things market are five grand by themselves and that's not covering insulation or anything but i have a platinum version of of a home warranty it cost me 125 bucks they came out diagnosed it said yeah this thing's an old piece of junk you need to get a new one they purchased a new one and and they actually paid me to install it and dispose of the old one. They gave me one hundred twenty five dollars back, so I basically got this thing for free. Even though I I spent a couple hundred bucks upgrading the the double oven to what it was. That, that's another option if you don't you know have that money up front as far as that reserve account you're talking about, is that you could also just purchase a home warranty on the home that'll cover everything. I mean, I have the the maximum of everything. If I have a nail come out of the wall, I could call you know my home warranty company. I really hope you don't,
1: because I would have to come up with a couple of
4: nicknames for you at that that's point. That's fine. <laughs> that is well, fine. Well, make a good
2: point, though, because that home warranty would be a monthly fi- fixed that, right. expense. That, that, that right. you're putting
4: in, yes, that's right. that your overall build it in NOI ha 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 remember that one <laughs> yeah that you would just incorporate into it as you know part of your monthly expense and then you don't have to have but that thousands dollars you take that $600 plan that you paid for up front and divide it out over your 12 months, add it to your expense. You don't even have to do it that way. I bought mine after everything was closed. I just went online and and went to the company and and just started it right then. I think it's 80 bucks a month. Get a one-year home warranty. It covers you your first year on your major components. You can continue it on after that, even as your investment properties. You don't have to have one year. You can just keep paying for the service. And as your property increases in value, you still have that. You still
1: need a reserve account because the home warranty is not going to cover paint or a broken door frame or a nail the oh, pop of side. Of course, right. <laughs> <laughs> or a nail pop. I mean, good Lord,
4: Wheeler. Seriously.
1: Just call me. I'll come. Just was, buy me a beer. I'll come back the I can, it back I can in the handle hall, it, guys. I can handle
4: the nail pop. I was just trying to make it simple for people to understand.
1: <laughs> so It
4: wasn't an acronym, okay? <laughs> that might not be a
1: bad idea. I mean, we start talking to our younger investors about, look, build your reserve account, but let's get you set up with a home warranty for the first year. By the end of that year, you'll have a couple thousand dollars in reserves and you can either keep
2: the home warranty for your major components or just drop it off we need to talk about that along with the new builds because again that's a fixed expense so you can figure on those new builds you've got very little you can add it in it's
4: the same price every month it's withdrawn from my account i don't even realize it's gone well until the nail pops out of the wall then you realize it's gone
1: I'm never going to let that one go. Wanker and nail pop. (laughs) There we go. All right. Uh, Again, my name is Brett Bernard, 901-692-7401. We want you to feel free to call us, text us. I get texts from investors, listen to the podcast. Not all of them buy from us, but I do get questions. They'll text us from time to time about certain topics that we've talked about. And One of them called, actually, and wanted to discuss Section 8. He heard our podcast, He's and now Glenn is actually working with him. After talking to him, he's decided to become a buyer in Memphis and start buying real estate. So we're not going to hard sell you, but if you simply just have a question or want to talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about, just pick up the phone and call us 901-692-7401. My wife said I need to say zero and not O. My email address is brett, B-R-E-T-T, at ghg901.com. You can email me. Hopefully, we've given you some decent information. Brett and Glenn... Matt, Jeff, Stamps Real Estate Company Investment Division with us also today. Thank you, John, as our broker for uh, Stamps, Stamps Real Estate Company. Absolutely. So check us out on our next podcast. We'd like to hear from you. Remember to call us if you have any questions.
0: For more common sense real estate tips, listen and subscribe at 5o'clocksomewherepodcast.com. The 5 O'Clock Somewhere Real Estate Investor Podcast is a Sound Ideas Group production.